Hey, Helicopter Podcast listeners, this is John Gray from the Hangar Z Podcast. I want to let you all know Vertical Fowler's Spring 2024 issue is now available. In our Spring 2024 issue, we head over to Leon County for a look at how law enforcement agencies in Northern Florida are combining forces to enhance crime fighting. We also visit Metro Aviation in Shreveport, Louisiana to learn about the work behind installing a Metro interior in an Airbus helicopter. We connect with the experts in the search and rescue sector for an update on the latest trends, training, and tools using helicopter rescue missions. And finally, we catch up with the Los Angeles Police Department's Aviation Unit for a look at its training programs. All this, plus highlights of some new products and services that made their debuts at Heli Expo 2024. To check out the latest issue of Vertical Valor, go to verticalvalor.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to find magazines. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Cellicopter. Tired of listings that go nowhere? Exhausted by tire kickers who waste your time? Don't sell your helicopter alone. Cellicopter handles the entire process from start to finish. So, if your helicopter is sat too long, waiting for a buyer, contact the team at Cellicopter today for your complimentary market valuation. Call 1-855-CELLICOPTER, 1-855-735-5226, or email sales at cellicopter.com. Cellicopter. List it. Sell it. Done. Hello and welcome to the Helicopter Podcast. This is episode number four with, again, my good friend Yo-Yo Rose. Y'all might recognize (laughs) Mr. Yo-Yo Rose. Uh, He actually joined us last week. And at the very end of the podcast, we started talking about the Black Hawk. And I was like, hey, we need some more uh, Hawk talk. So let's get Yo-Yo back on. Two weeks in a row, I'm really monopolizing his time. He's been kind enough to help us out. And in this, in fact, as you guys can see, he is back and there's some random dudes uh, standing on top of a Blackhawk in the background. So I couldn't ask for a cooler uh, helicopter podcast. So, Yo-Yo, welcome back. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Yep. I'm here yeah, at the hangar, like you just said, and there's, there's Brady and Marshall up there, um, probably two of the best Blackhawk mechanics that, that the industry can ask for. And um, we're fortunate enough to have them here on our team. So, yeah, like like I said last time, we're just doing a PMI 1 and 2 in our um, Blackhawk that's here in the background. You can see it a little bit. I can move the camera a little bit if you want to. I mean, this is as much we got the tower to just put back on, the head is back on, kind of going back together. The mixer is up there. You can't see it from down here. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's coming along pretty well. We got nice new to us like they're not new but they're fairly low time 701 delta engines um, installed in there and excited for this baby to fly again man that's really cool now for our viewers that maybe missed last week's episode first and foremost go back and watch it because yo-yo has a vast amount of experience we talked about the k-max last week we talked about an accident that you had with the uh, md5 or the md600 uh and then we got into the hawks and so uh Let's just get right back into the Hawks. First and foremost, it's freezing here in Texas today, so I have my, I'm growing my beard out to protect my, my, my face. And I am bald, so I have my uh, beanie on. So I think I look a little ridiculous, but hopefully everyone can get past that. Now, you were talking about this PMI 1 and 2. Uh, can you kind of break that down for our audience? What, what exactly uh, are you referring to if maybe they're not familiar with the interval maintenance of the Blackhawk? So PMI stands for a phase maintenance interval, and um, there's basically those are the two major inspections on the Blackhawks. It's the um, uh, PMI-1, 
Um, that used to be every 360 hours, and then the PMI-2 every 720 hours. And then um, a little while back, the Army extended this maintenance program and um, basically spread these inspections out to 480 and 960 hours. And um, so that's what we are on. Basically, it's, it's inspections, the PMI-1, which is being done, like I said, every 480 hours, and the PMI-2 every 960 hours. There's obviously smaller inspections in between that you do. Um, um, I mean, obviously, like you got your daily inspections um, and whatnot, and there's there's different inspections in between, 120-hour inspection, um, um, which which then concludes some stuff. Um, and yeah, but I mean, like yeah, like I said, the PMI one and two, those are the, the major major inspections on the Black Hawk, where especially on the PMI two, where basically everything is being torn apart, um, everything's being looked at real good, all the flight controls, the rotor heads, um, the spindles, which is basically what holds the blades on the rotor head and um, yeah, just things that are kind of mildly important um, to keep. Yeah, just a little there. bit, you know, just a little bit, yeah, you know, the, yeah, the spindles yeah. and the rotors, transmission, you know, all the little things. Now, yeah, I would have to imagine then, uh, specifically with like the PMI2, like you were saying, that that's a fairly timely pro uh, the process. So what does that kind of completion look like? Is it just those two guys that do it or do you guys have... Uh, a larger staff that can uh, push it harder, or is that they just do their thing? We have uh, four mechanics total um, that work on here. Um, two are full-time guys with us and two are contractors. And um, then it depends. Like, I mean, yes, the PMI is definitely a more time-consuming inspection. If you have a team of, like, three, four, five mechanics that really know what they're doing, that have been doing PMIs before, um, whether it's in the army or in the civilian world, um, they can probably do a PMI two on an aircraft um, within like three, four weeks, um, and that's like really being thoroughly and and doing everything right. I mean, then it depends what you find. Like there might be stuff that that's where you have to replace bigger parts, um, where where you might have to like do some major repairs, um, where it just takes more time. So you can't really say yeah, it's going to take like X amount of days. So it's it's always variable. I mean, just like with any inspection, I mean, you just do a sure. Do a, um, 100-hour inspection on a 500 or a 300-hour on a 500. It's the same same on a, on a PMI. I mean, like, it could go real quick and real easy. Um, it might take a lot longer than expected. So far, knock on wood, um, we were lucky enough to... <laughs> we were lucky enough to um, um, not find any major things wrong um, here, and we're basically in the process of putting parts back on and putting the helicopter back together. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, for our listeners out there that might be getting interested in uh, operating helicopters or maybe even helicopter ownership, you know, that's one thing to consider, whether it's a Black Hawk uh, or an R-22. You know, aircraft, you should always expect more when it comes to a maintenance. So you're not just going to go in and do a 100-hour and not find anything. You know, you're usually going to find something, some consumable that comes up. So always plan for the worst case scenario, because if you plan for the worst, then you'll be pleasantly surprised. Like in this yeah. instance, <laughs> when you guys are having uh, a positive inspection, you know, it's kind of, it's it's a bit of a crapshoot, but just like any machine, it's also probably that maintenance in between that really helps actually hopefully forego major issues in the future. You know, as long as you're kind of doing the routine maintenance to uh, keep up with the aircraft, uh, hopefully during the big phase inspections like uh, the PMI-2, PMI-1, you're not going to come up with anything large. So uh, so they're doing their thing. You guys have have your Hawk there. Now, do you guys just have uh, one Hawk or do you guys operate uh, uh, more than one? We operate one. That's the one that you see back here. It's um, 
672, um, and then um, swing the camera. You can see the tail of another one that's kind of torn apart back there. Um, okay. Another one that we bought um, basically just for parts. Uh, we don't plan on operating that helicopter. Um, we just bought it for parts. Um, that was an earlier A model, um, uh, built in 1980. So the airframe isn't nearly as good as the one that we got there that we're operating. That's an um, 87 airframe. It's built in 88, actually. Um, so by that time, uh, Sikorsky was building Lima models already. So the airframe we got is actually a Lima model airframe, which is a lot more beefy and a lot more sturdy than, than the Alpha model airframe. And um, so we're, we're, we're operating, obviously, this airframe. And... Um, and um, bought the other one just for parts. And that's, that's, I think I talked about it last week. Um, maybe I didn't, but um, it's, it's with Blackhawks, you, you kind of got to be your own parts supplier. You can get some parts ordered, um, but you'll pay an arm and a leg for them. Um, so basically, you kind of got to be your own parts supplier and then build up your own stock um, inventory of, of parts. And um, the only way you can do it is basically just like to, to buy another helicopter and just have like at least one of each um as, as spares yeah i mean i think that yeah back in the day like uh not necessarily the blackhawk i mean i'm sure companies did that as well but uh like when the hueys were first surplus back yeah. in the day Thank i know you. that a uh a certain uh a certain company specifically bought up you know a ton of the uh the inventory not to fly they strictly got them because hey they knew it's a legacy aircraft it's not going to be supported by a manufacturer oem anymore and hey they know in the next 10 15 20 years which they they were correct that people were going to have to start getting parts so um you know yep. really sometimes it's more profitable as a business to to buy the machine and you know part it out and and over time really who whoever controls the part then uh really you know has has a lot of say in, in how the industry can can operate so uh definitely yep. have def, definitely interested to hear a little bit more about that so you guys have one that's operating and you said this this is a lima airframe so it's not an alpha model it's an it's an alpha model blackhawk um, um it's an eh so the army had uh, uhs they had eight H hs um, EHs and all these were different um, designators for whatever mission-specific equipment was on this airframe while it was still operated by the Army. The EH was for electronic warfare, so um, the helicopter was, was was equipped with a bunch of computer technology in the back. Um, it actually has some structural support in the floor, which the UHs don't have, um, just to support a bigger floor lo load on the inside of the airframe um, for all those computer boxes. It had some some big antenna underneath it um, to to do whatever stuff they were doing with it. Um, however, that EH program was discovered, like it sounded like a good idea at first, but then it didn't really work out in the long run. So it was um, basically canceled pretty quickly again by the Army. And most of these EHs that you see now, um, they actually have been all training helicopters at Fort Rucker. So it's same with this one. So this helicopter actually has never seen combat. Um, it was... Um, it was just basically for the most or biggest duration of its life. It was a training helicopter in Fort Rucker. However, the other one that we got there, the Partsburg, that, that um, has a good bit of combat history behind it, which is kind of cool. Like if you go through the books and, and read some of the stuff, um, like you wish those things could talk and tell tell you some of their stories. But, um, yes, anyway, seriously. That, that, that being said, so this, this airframe, just to answer your question, this airframe, it's, a, it's an Alpha model aircraft, but the Lima model airframe. So um, to convert an Alpha model airframe, and just to a Lima model airframe, it's about 30,000 man hours that are required. And there has been some conversions. The Army converted some Alpha models to Lima model airframes. 
and then they soon discovered like this it's not worth the time and the money they need to put in it so they just bought straight out at lima miles in and um, um however we we have the um small transmission in it which is um there's two different transmissions on on blackhawks there's the what's called the idgb the improved durability gearbox and the, the smaller transmission it i mean the same size same load rating same torque but um the the improved durability gearbox comes basically is a gearbox that was specifically designed for the lima model and uh, with that the lima model airframe and the 701 either charlie or delta engines and um, then you need upgraded flight controls is another piece of that puzzle um, you can actually then certify that aircraft as a lima model aircraft which gives you an increase in the gross weight from 22,000 pounds which this one is to 23.5 externally and um, you get 9,000 pounds on the hook versus 8,000 so if we ever were going to do that um, we're in a fortunate position to where we most likely could do it fairly easy um, so yeah just i mean whatever we don't really have any intention of doing that at the moment but if we wanted to we probably could at some point yeah that's awesome and yeah i'm, I'm definitely uh, as you know a little bit familiar and i'm learning a little bit more about the blackhawk uh, every day right uh, just on a little bit of a side project and yeah it is interesting uh, you know that if you have that increase that the updated gearbox and those flight controls and things like that you know you can really increase the performance of the aircraft now in your experience being able to have that, you know, max continuous uh, torque increase and that max gross weight for the missions that you guys are doing and the missions that other companies are doing, is that necessarily beneficial or is it just kind of, uh, I guess, icing on the cake or nice to have a little extra if need be? No, so if you have um, a Lima model or if you have an, uh, an Alpha or then kind of like a slang called a Frankenhawk when you have the 701 engines in it with the IDGB, the upgraded flight controls, um, you can actually get the Lima model performance out of that, like not meaning the, the increase in gross weight, obviously, but you can get the um, torque increase, what you were just talking about. So instead of 100% dual engine continuous torque limit, you get um, an increase up to 120% uh, continuous torque, dual engine torque, um, as long as you stay below 80 knots. Um, so for, for what we do for lift work or fires, that would be a huge help as long as you don't temp out. I mean, like if it's obviously if it's getting too hot outside or if you're too high up in altitude, then you will just temp out and like, then you can have all the torque margin in the world and you, you will never hit it because you will reach your temperature limit before that. Um, but like if you're at sea level, especially on a cold day, you can, um, you can do definitely quite a bit more, more lifting and, and you get quite a bit more performance out of it because I mean, like we're talking about a fifth, um, um more more torque so 20 percent more torque um which which is a lot i mean really really yeah no it really really adds a lot now i want to back up a little bit uh because you are where are you originally from again yo-yo i'm originally from germany okay so uh deutschland <coughs> wo wohnst du oh yeah oh yeah yeah ich wohne in did i say North that right Idaho. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. That, that is good. <laughs> <laughs> I took, yeah. I did a uh, German class for, for a couple of years, actually. Uh, Mir gates gut. Wie yeah. gates. Okay, there we go. There's my German for the day. Yeah. Now, uh, born in Germany. Yeah. Now, were you in uh, the military? Did you learn how to fly? I know, actually, we know as of last week that you learned on the civilian side. So how does a civilian yeah. helicopter pilot learn how to fly a Blackhawk? How did that happen for you? Right place, right time? It's it's um, you work for a company that flies Blackhawks and um, then you just like jump in it I guess kind of and and um, 
I mean, nobody would just really put you in a black hole and get you typerated instantly and and um, have you jump in the left seat. You probably fly in the right seat a little bit and do some some uh, time as the co-pilot of an SIC, pay your dues, and then um, then um, so there, there's two ways to get typerated. Like then you can either go to flight safety, and um, it's a two-week class. That's what um, I was fortunate enough to do. <coughs> it's like a classroom, and you fly the simulator, and the simulator it's it's I mean, that thing is awesome. It's um, it's like literally flying the real aircraft. It's a level D full motion simulator. And um, then then you do your type rating and even your check right in the simulator. And um, then the other option is to um, um, just do your ground school. And there's um, examiners out there, kind of like a DPE. It's called a, a PPE, um, a pilot proficiency examiner for whatever specific aircraft. So for the Blackhawk or for Chinook or for 61, whatever. And um, and you take your check right um, with that uh, um, examiner, and then like your initial typewriting check right, and then your typewriter. So um, yeah, that, that's how you do it. Wow, that's really cool. And um, yeah, I can imagine doing the flight safety. That's if if our listeners are new out there, you're new to aviation. Flight safety is uh, they're all over, really, right? I think this the one for the Blackhawks in Florida, correct? It's in uh, West Palm Beach. Yeah. Yep. So down in Florida, there's flight safety in, in Dallas and whatnot. And essentially it's a company in which yeah, it has, you know, the, the super crazy, you know, flight simulators, what, what level, level D or am I talking out of my. Yeah. Nope. It's, it's called a level D simulator. Yep. It's a full motion simulator. Yeah, and, and you can even legally lock whatever you fly in the simulator. You can lock it as actual flight time. Golly. And so I mean, how I mean, you, you do your I check just, rights in there. Like you can do your ATP check right in there. You do your, um, like your typewriting, your initial typewriting check right in there. Like you can do your 6158 rights in there. Like 6158 right is like in every, every aircraft that requires a typewriting, you need to do an annual check right. Um, it's called, it's under part 6158 in the FARs. Um, basically just like specifies like what you have to do. And um, so it's, it's an annual check right you got to do. Um, in this specific aircraft, you got to do it every two years, but you got to do an annual one. So let's say you type right in two different aircraft, you can like offset them. Like one year you do it in the Blackhawk, the other day year you do it whatever. Let's say in a Chinook, and you could be good to fly either aircraft. But every other year it has to be in that specific aircraft. Yeah, I mean, so, what kind of yeah. you know? It must be really valuable being able to go to the sim because you can essentially do almost every what EP in the book, right? Do they do they throw the lunch at you down there and really? Uh, get you prepared or is it uh, you know they pretty I guess no. I mean that's probably the best way to do training right they, they don't throw lunch at you they throw breakfast lunch and dinner all at the same time yeah no, it's, <laughs> um, I mean it's 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 the real deal and um, I mean yes like you said you can obviously simulate emergencies which you cannot uh, simulate in a, in a real helicopter I mean like um, you, you can't just make your tailroader quit working um, in a real helicopter so um, you can do it in a simulator and a simulator will perform and react just like the real aircraft would but it's just like stuff you can't simu- uh, you, you, you can't do in a real aircraft so um, the simulator training yes it's, it's very valuable it's very good um, in my point of view I mean there's there's kind of downsides to it like you get in the mindset oh it's just a simulator but um, if you take the training serious I think it's a great training program yeah that's really cool now uh, how many hours are you at now in in the Blackhawk I have to look it up. I think I'm like eleven, twelve hundred, something like that. In the wow! So you have a lot. Yeah, I mean that's quite so, a bit of time. Now, are we seeing a lot yeah, of military? A are we seeing a lot of military guys and gals 
that transition into the civilian world by coming into a to a fire fighting operation like this or or is it mostly civilian guys learning how to fly the black hawk it's mostly civilian guys and the reason for that is i mean like since the black hawk is a restricted category aircraft there's not really much you can do with it besides lift work really um so coming from the military they do some lift work but they don't lean out the door and look down they have the crew chief in the back look down and tell them like hey forward two feet left two feet like come down come up whatever and um this is not how we work i mean like we we lean up a left door and you look down you fly a long line just like you do it in any any other helicopter so the military pilots don't have that skill it doesn't mean they can't learn it but most of them that just come out they they just don't have that skill um yeah so it's just a little bit of a different actually, mission yeah yeah way different yeah so um actually one of my co-pilots is um he's still active in the guard he's deployed in croatia right now um, he's coming back early this summer and um, he'll be flying with me again um, as a co-pilot. He obviously would like to transfer over into the left seat eventually. And he's somebody that um, is definitely trainable. Um, then the other thing, unfortunately, and I hate to say that a lot of military pilots just come out and they, they have a big ego. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a big ego. But um, in the military, like you come out with like 1,500 or 2,000 hours and you're like a super super high time pilot in the, in the army um however in the civilian world like you're you're not employable really i mean you can maybe do some tours or some um whatever but but you're not really employable for most jobs so um that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for a lot of military pilots um so it's it's and and i don't mean to 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 disrespect any military pilot no i'm i'm, I'm absolutely grateful for everybody's service and um doing what they do which which is awesome and and it's just it's just way different um a lot of military pilots that get out um i see them going more and that's just like from from what i've seen friends that came out of the army or out of the navy they went and flew for phi over in the gulf or um do ems um which is which is more what they know and which is more what what they can do is like flying ifi approaches um sure and um and and doing that kind of stuff but then there's some that like one of them say like no no I want to learn how to longline and they just like work hard and like go fly for Temsco or something or or for for a company that trains them on longlining and then um, like five years six years seven years down the road whatever they come back and they have a ton of longline experience and they they just jump right back in the hawk and go to town. Yeah, and I mean I've I have a, a couple buddies, the previous military guys and. You know, I, I think they would also agree with you. It's you know, the military is just a different environment. They have different standards yep. of training. They do things differently. Their their uh, their missions are different, right? They're training for tactical missions. Yep. You know, their flying style is a lot different than say what we would learn in the civilian side. And so, I definitely yeah. agree oh, with you on that. Also, you know, I think that a lot of them. Uh, what I've been actually seeing, uh, unfortunately, with COVID and everything, that's probably changed a little bit, but. You know the whole rotor transition to fixed wing. You know the whole that whole program. I feel like is kind of geared towards uh, military pilots because you're right. They have higher proficiency in instrument uh, instrument flying. They're used to flying with a co-pilot, so they're they have really good CRM, uh, and that's yeah. kind of more in their environment. So I do see a lot of them going that way. Uh, I see some guys obviously in the EMS world, and yeah, just like anything, anyone can go out there and. And learn. I, I remember back when I was uh, teaching in flight school, I had a couple Blackhawk guys come, come in. Actually, guys and gals come in and uh, start training on the R22 because they wanted to 
you know, start getting that employability, you know, towards the uh, civilian world. And, it, you know, you had yeah. to break some yeah. some habits because, you know, what you can do in a Blackhawk, you know, certainly can't do it in an R-22. You know, we would be we would be orbiting and I'd be like, you know, I don't think we should land with this tailwind. Oh, well, the, but the Blackhawk, we could do that. I'm like, eh, this is yeah. you don't want to. This is not a Blackhawk. <laughs> you know, let's uh, yeah. let's yeah. not do that. But kind of a, yeah. a funny thing. So. Uh, well, that's awesome that you have that experience in it. I would imagine, like you know, long lining out of a Blackhawk. I don't think it gets any cooler of a of a hel- of a helicopter job. Is that what you guys are primarily using this aircraft for right now? Is firefighting, or you yes. guys also use it for other utility? Um, we use it mainly. I mean, our bread and butter, like I said, we're a mountain power construction. We're a construction company, and um, we we build power lines. That's that's what we really specialize in. And then with MP Aviation, um, so called our aviation branch. Um, of this company, so um, we we use the helicopters, the Blackhawk and the 530 that we got for for our power line work and for building our power lines, um, setting poles, flying concrete, flying tools, compressors, um, excavators um, with the Blackhawk, um, then um, obviously doing wire work like um, pulling wire, like we talked about last week. Um, with a 530 or flying linemen and HCCs, a lot of HCC work with the um 530 and just um yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of power line work um uh, or a lot of different things in power line work and that's what we do um and that's what we got these helicopters for um however then then with the blackhawk obviously we we said there's there's a um if, if we don't have any jobs for it lined up for us and um, we're obviously looking for outside work um to to help out and obviously i mean we want to make some money with it too and um so it's um yeah we'll we'll bid on other jobs um and then fires especially i mean um we we have it carded with um a couple of different state agencies and um got contracts with most of the west coast uh, states here and um yeah we'll just then go firefighting with it so so Man, really but the cool. primary focus the primary focus is is obviously uh, power line work and construction work for us and then um, if we have time, um, we'll, we'll go firefighting. Very cool. Now, when you say yeah. getting carded for different states and things like that, I, I have a little bit of an understanding, but some of our listeners may not fully grasp that. So before we get to that, can you kind of just explain the two ways that a Blackhawk or the two different types of contracts that we might see uh, for a Blackhawk on a fire? It's like a call when needed and exclusive. Those are the two, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, you get the exclusive use basically where um, you like whatever contract you awarded. Like there's 90 day, there's 120 day contract. There's I think they can go up to 180 day contracts, uh, maybe even longer. I'm not sure. Um, so basically, that means like you as a company provide this aircraft to the Forest Service for this amount of days exclusively. It means like basically like they own it so to speak like it's their asset so you have to staff it like with pilots mechanics field truck driver and have that aircraft available um 24 7 to them um is uh, that's, that's basically exclusive use um call when needed is um a little bit different it's basically like they call you if they need you um i mean it, it goes with a name so um, yeah like let's say last year all of a sudden like it was a little bit kind of a um slower start and there was some fires that started to burn especially down in california and then all of a sudden there was some major lightning events uh, that went through and all of a sudden like boom the state was on fire oregon was on fire 
and um, shit at the fan, so to speak. So um, that's then when they call everybody and their mother, like they're looking for like any helicopter that can fly and splash a coffee, coffee cup of water down. And um, they, they call around and say like, hey, are you available? Can you come to work for us? And um, they say like, yep, no problem. And um, then you go. And usually it goes like basically let's say there's a fire here and then they kind of just expand their radius so they look like who's the closest and like they just go further and further away and um last year like we were up in northern idaho they called us out of southern california to come down there so um chelsea was it was pretty bad which is was i mean like obviously everybody who, who has any idea about firefighting this last year was probably one of the most intense fire seasons we've had in a long time and um it was good everybody was making a ton of money everybody was flying a bunch so it was it was an awesome year for everybody yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, in the aviation world, you know, not not so much the people yeah, that were affected. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, we should yeah. preference that. Um, you know, unfortunately, the the wildfires uh, and the destruction that it creates is very uh, upsetting. You know, and and I'm cer- certainly sympathetic to that. But it's amazing the tool that you know helicopters provide, and it's it's crazy the amount of assets that are are, are can go and and you know essentially go fight a fire and and hopefully really help. I mean, I know that my family living in Oregon. This was an unprecedented year for, you know, wildfires in Central Oregon and, and the Valley, you know, Portland and, you know, Tualatin yeah. and you know, yeah. areas where I grew up were like smoked out for two or three weeks. So just a wild, a wild time. And yeah, certainly yeah. good for the industry and, uh, and hard, hard for some, but you know, that's, I guess that's life. Right. And, and it's cool that we have helicopters and, and specifically cool Blackhawk helicopters and other, of course, airframes <laughs> that are out there, yeah. you know, fighting fires. So now when you were talking about being carded earlier, uh, does each state have its own carding process? It's not like a, like the, the United States Forest Service gives like a universal card? Um, you can get carded by the United States Forest Service um, and all states do accept that carding. Um, but it's, I mean, like they all card to the same uh, requirements and um, then you can get carded by a state agency. Some state agencies do their own carding um, others don't, um, and then then if as long as you get carded by one state agency, usually the others um, basically accept that carding. I mean, and then if you look it up, like I mean, it's all the same standards. Like I mean, the, the interagency um, carding requirements for aircraft, they they the exact same. So I mean, like they go down the exact same checklist, and the inspectors go basically just like follow it point by point. There's like Yep, oh, the aircraft has a high visibility paint job. Yes, has high visibility uh, paint job on the blades. Yes, and um, then on so on and so on. I mean, like it's it's just the requirements that you need to meet. Um, like where it comes to the outside of the helicopter, lighting, um, inside avionics, radius, whatnot. Um, obviously, equipment. Um, what kind of a bucket? Um, what size bucket you got? I mean, all that is is regulated. Um, but they go they go through their checklist. If you like meet every point and you get your card that's good for one year and then you go fight fires okay Start over next year. makes <laughs> yeah makes sense yep do it again and that's a yearly process getting carded it's like a recarding yeah okay yeah, yeah for the aircraft now, and the fuel truck it's a yearly recording then for a pilot it's um so you got to get carded every year basically but every three years you got to take a check right so basically every three years you got to take a carding check right which is um pretty easy to do um and um then like the following two years like if you can show like i mean it's for for the every aircraft obviously like that you're carded on 
So if you do that carding check right in the Blackhawk, it's not good for any other aircraft. You got to take another check right for any other aircraft. But um, <coughs> so um, um, then for me, I'm, I'm only carded in the Blackhawk now. I was carded in the KMAX before. Um, I had to take a check right in each aircraft. But um, now with the Hawk, like um, I took a check right three years ago. So this year, I will actually have to take a check right again to get carded. Um, for fires, and then then I'm good again for three years. And then so the following is to just do what it's called a paper carding. You show like, hey, I've done a check right last year, and um, here's all my requirements, like all my training documentations. Like you need to do some online training every year. Submit that, and then you get your card. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it seems pretty simple. Now, if we switch gears, kind of to the uh, the pilot side of me, and kind of just curious about flying the Black Hawk in general. What 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 do you love about flying the Black Hawk, and what do you not love so much about flying the Black Hawk? It's a, it's a fantastic aircraft to fly. I mean, you have a lot of power. Um, you have a huge safety margin in this aircraft. Um, starting obviously, you got two engines, and uh, it's one of the few aircraft that actually can not only fly but also hover on one engine. And um, and um, then like just the, the way the Blackhawk is built, like I mean it's it's a really, really crash worthy aircraft. Like it has a negative pressure fuel system, so it means the fuel pumps are on the engine sucking the fuel up versus like pumping the fuel up from the bottom. So um then the fuel lines are breakaway on self sealing fuel lines. Um so if, if anything breaks it's just a sealed off system. Um you have obviously crash worthy fuel tanks, um the the um two stage oleo struts um on the landing gear. They can ha- handle some ungodly amount of G-forces um, um, before anything would actually uh, break on the aircraft itself. And um, it's it's no, it's it's a aircraft with a huge, huge, huge safety factor built in it. Um, besides that, you got two SAS systems. You got an uh, um, FPS, um, an AFCS system in this helicopter, which which makes flying it just like easy. I mean, it really spoils you. And then. And when you get out real of the fast, and I get in a, I get in a 530, it's it's really like oh wow, I gotta actually fly this thing again. So, <laughs> it, it, now for it, our listeners out you, there, which is, which is nice. Uh, for our listeners out there that may not be familiar with SAS and then the AFCS system, uh, what what are those? So SAS is a stability augmentation system. Um, it's um, and they all kind of work alike. And um, the, the FPS is flight path stabilizer, and um, so. It just stabilizes the aircraft and it helps you fly the aircraft and it makes it easier. It takes workload off of you. Um, the SAS is a computerized system. Um, there's um, in the in the flight controls there's uh, SAS servos, so um, basically they help you stabilize the aircraft. Um, how it exactly works, I mean, like it will probably take a couple of weeks to talk about that more in detail. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's then, not um, do that today. <laughs> yeah, then <laughs> then you get um, you get an FPS, a flight path stabilizer. Uh, which is also a computerized system, but it works a little different. I mean, it all works hand in hand, obviously. Um, but um, so just just to give you an example, like if you um, have this aircraft in a hover and you got it trimmed out, you let go of the controls, it'll stay right there. And um, that's just the SAS systems and the the um, um, trim and the FPS holding it right there in this place. So now if you push the cyclic just with one finger, you would push the cyclic just to the side. The helicopter would hold exactly this heading, what it got, and just move sideways until you let go of the cyclic. And then it will just like bounce out and stay in the hover there. It's not an autopilot. Um, obviously, it would drift with the with the wind. Um, and you you got to trim it. You got like a little happy hat on the cyclic. And um, but then so so it I mean it it makes flying this thing really easy. Usually the trim is a system that um, you have a trim release button. Um, you just push that because 
nine out of ten times you find yourself fighting it instead of helping it, especially like when you try and like set a pole like in a really precise location, um, and um, then then it's just more in your way than anything. So you just want, you want to fly the aircraft manually, um, but um, so yeah, like these, these systems um, like help you dramatically uh, uh, flying sure. and controlling this aircraft. You can fly it with I've all always... the, uh, systems turned off, and that's actually um, it's it's um, like an emergency procedure. Actually, like in, on your um, number two hydraulic system, if that's uh, would take a shit, and then you would lose all these um, the sasses and the the trim and the um, FPS that all goes hand in hand there and you would lose your boost servo so the aircraft would actually fly really really spongy and would fly really really weird. Um, you train it but it's, it's just basically a training maneuver. And um, Yeah I mean the SAS is nice. I, I have some uh, experience when I was working air medical the uh, 407 that I was flying had the SAS and uh, I always my joke is like if anyone's familiar with the Carrie Underwood song like Jesus take the wheel like that's what SAS is to me like for the air medical <laughs> world you know I think it was implemented mainly for inadvertent IMC you know you're in the clouds you're on unusual attitude you can essentially let go and it's going to take it back to where it was and there's some parameters in which i, I don't i think it's like six degrees you know uh, pitch and maybe 11 roll I, I don't necessarily remember but you know you're not going to exceed that so if you end up in like an inadvertent imc or something along those lines the sas is you know enabled to help you there and it, 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 you're right it's a little awkward at first but over, overall i enjoyed flying with the sas and and then yeah. that was no, you don't feel the sass in the Blackhawk. I mean, like it, it's there. Um, you can definitely tell if it's turned off. Um, like it, it reacts different, but um, like you, you don't feel it. Like the trim is usually what you're fighting in the in the Blackhawk for the most part. Like if you're doing oh, interesting like, precision work, like precision long landing, so you you have the trim release button, you just push that, and um, then basically the trim is, is turned off, so to speak, for that moment as long as you push that button. And, so an extremely um, safe, uh, good good safety, uh, lots of power super awesome yep. airframe there has to be something that you kind of don't love about flying the blackhawk i was actually just trying to think about that while i was talking about what i like flying about it <laughs> but um honestly so far there isn't very many things um i mean it's it's i guess one of the things that is kind of like then uh, i always joke about and saying like the k-max is awesome because it has the perfect amount of seats one right so it's just me yeah. a helicopter in a long line which is awesome <laughs> Um, in a Blackhawk, you obviously always have a, have a co-pilot with you. But then, I mean, if 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 you hate your co-pilot, I guess you made a bad choice in, in having that co-pilot. On the higher, yeah. Um, it's um, it's um, like if you have a cool person, it's actually super fun to fly with with um, a cool person next to you. you like sure. chat it out, you have a good time, and and um, you you act as a team and like you help each other out, and um, yeah. So I mean, overall, mm -hmm. a great aircraft to fly, uh, and I can imagine it's, it's that. It's super awesome, and like, like I said, the safety factor, and especially the single-engine um, uh, flyaway capability on this aircraft, especially if, like in the civilian world, it's so light. Um, it's it's awesome, and um, I actually came um, in a situation where where this actually saved my ass, and um, that was three years, I believe, three years, four years ago, something like that, on a fire in San Diego. And um, there was an Alpha model Blackhawk with the 700 engines, even just the smaller engines. And um, um, we were just coming in for the drop and just dropping water on the fire. <coughs> and um, so um, 
my co-pilot and I we were just kind of briefing, like, okay, this is the line we fly. Like, if anything, like, that was before we did anything. Like we said, like, if anything happens, we'll bail out to the right. That was where all, everything was burnt already and was black, and it was free, clear. And um, so I was leaning up the, the door, just dropping the water. In that moment, I all of a sudden heard a static warning sound. I was like, what the heck? And that same moment I heard him, hey, what's your power? And he just took the controls and banged over to the left and just, uh, sorry, to the right and just like flew out of there. And so by the time I took my head back in the cockpit, like he already took care of most of it. So, and then I came back in and I saw like my number two torque was way low. My two number two temperature was way low. My NG was way low. I was like, we just shit our number two engine. And um, so we obviously uh, communicated with AirTag that was on the fire. AirTag is basically like the, Air traffic controller, so to speak, for fire. You always have a, an air tech or a helco, a helicopter coordinator, <coughs> circling the fire and just like telling you where to go and and um, keeping aircraft separated. And we told him like, yeah, we got some issues, so we bail out and um, we found a place to like kind of go there and drop off the bucket. We couldn't land there; it was too steep, but it was at least a place where we could land or uh, drop the bucket off and kind of like um, it was in a bit on a hole, so I didn't want to really come to a complete hover. But I slowed it down to about 20 knots and just pickled the bucket. And the bucket was gone and we climbed out of there on one engine. We only had one engine left. Climbed out of there. Not very fast and not very steep, obviously, but we made it out of there. And um, then um, there was an airport five miles away or six miles away. Flew to that airport and um, just did an a, um, emergency landing, which is just a roll-on landing, literally. I mean, just um, anybody that's flown like you do is like a run-on landing. Same thing. Obviously, you get wheels on the on the Blackhawks. That's a little bit um, different, but um, you just do a roll on landing and land at the airport and wow. Call it good. We did now, some troubleshooting on the way and um, couldn't really make sense. Like it was it was a weird one, and um, it took the mechanics a few days to figure out what actually happened. It was the ECU, which is the engine control unit, um, that overheated, and on those old 700 engines, there was that's at least what I was told. There was um, the problem, like if these ECUs overheat, that they could create some phantom problems, which is exactly what happened to us. It wasn't a phantom problem. It rolled the engine to idle, and then we took the engine in lockout, um, which is basically the ECU lockout, where you just basically um, um, overwrite the ECU. So you take the ECU out of the equation, and um, with the throttles that are here under the under the ceiling, um, you manually control your um, your RPMs on the engine. Um, you you kind of like steer the controls and the, end, the the indications didn't make sense. The indications stayed the same, but we could drive the rotor speed up with that. So the engine was running, the engine was functioning, but none of the indications matched. And because of none of the indications matched, um, that means the two ECUs from both engines weren't talking to each other anymore. And in that case, um, you get um, basically the one engine that's still running goes on the single engine performance, which has different limitations. So um, wow, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. Yeah. But again, you, I mean, yeah, it, it it sounded it was pretty exciting in that moment, and then it was still exciting afterwards. It was a good experience. Like I'm glad for that co-pilot I had, like Chris. He was awesome, super, super, super awesome guy. And he's actually been flying Blackhawks since the early '80s, so almost since day one with the Blackhawks. Um, wow. And um, super cool guy, really, really, really good pilot. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. As my good buddy Marcus in the helicopter world would say, he, he helped save your bacon that day. Sounds like he responded correctly and, and took the action. And 
And I'm glad to know that he was taking his, you know, SIC co-pilot position seriously. You know, I think maybe, maybe yeah. those could be the unsung heroes at times. I, I've never actually flown a helicopter uh-huh. in a, in a two person capacity. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what the dynamic is, but you know, I would hope that, uh, the SIC specifically in a firefighting, you know, very intense, uh, operation, you know, I hope that they're staying awake over there and doing their thing, yeah. you know, so I'm glad to hear that, yeah. you know, he, he took the right action, man, between you had the ECU failure, you had your MD 600 and so you've, you've in your, you know, nearly 10,000 hours of flight experience, you've definitely, uh, been able to get through some emergencies that you were ready for, you know, it sounds like it's never a huge deal, uh, when you're prepped for it, you know, it's obviously scary and, and can be very intense, but it seems like each time you're able just to rely on your training and your knowledge to get the outcome that, that you want it. So, uh, it's cool. I, yeah, I, so I let's I'm, just call it good I'm, though. I'm grateful no more, for whoever. Yeah. Yeah. No, no more issues. <laughs> you got at least, you know, no, not for at least another 10,000 hours. Uh, I think you've, there you, go. you I'm, deserve, I'm, I'm good with you that. deserve that. Now that that's just, uh, it just seems really like a cool thing. Do you know how many Blackhawks are currently operating on the civilian side, or is that just a, a crazy number that you don't know? I, I would have to guess. I mean, um, I would say probably 95% of all civilian Blackhawks are in the United States. There's a couple in South Africa. There's there's a couple in New Zealand. I think Australia bought some for firefighting. Um, then... Well, the Polish police fly some, but it's not really that much civilian, um, I guess. But um, how many would there be? Like, by now here in the United States, maybe 50, 60, 70? It's, it's more like yeah. a guess than anything. Like, I, I really don't know. I mean, sure. like, yeah, I put you on the spot operators, that like, No, that's fine. Like, some, some operators, like, fly um, um, nine or ten of them others fly one like us so it's it really depends i don't know how many operators there are there's um uh, matt dawson like um that new zealand guy he he made those posters with all the civilian blackhawks on there so there's actually quite a few oh. companies civilian companies out there that that fly blackhawks um however how many blackhawks each company has uh, to get you the total number i don't know i mean you guess it's kind of as good as mine i guess but. i mean that sounds about right now uh have you named your Blackhawk? No. No, we didn't give it a name. No name? Oh, man. No, no. I guess we're missing out on that, eh? <laughs> You're missing out, man. I I feel like yeah. a machine like that deserves a name. Uh, and it's just been really cool to uh, kind of learn more about it today. I think a lot of our listeners, uh, I hope that we have some prior military guys and gals that are maybe familiar with the Blackhawk, but... I, I think a lot of the listeners are civilian guys and gals like me. So being able to kind of peek into this civilian world, uh, maybe this, you know, we may have inspired uh, some people to try to, to try to get into this. And uh, I mean, from a civilian aspect, golly, uh, I don't think it gets much better. But, you know, I think we're, we're actually kind of pressing up on our time for today. I love the background and I really uh, I love yeah. all the information. This is always fun with you, Yo-Yo. Uh, you're a super knowledgeable guy. You dealt with me for, for two back-to-back podcasts. So, I mean, you're a special individual. Know, right? So, uh, yeah, thank you again. Now, just a, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, just a reminder for our listeners, what is the company that you currently work for in the position uh, prior to us uh, exiting out? Um, I'm, I'm the chief pilot of uh, Mountain Power Construction and MP Aviation. Awesome. And this is essentially a program that you built from the ground up, specifically with the Blackhawk, right? Yes. 
mischief. I mean, I was not by That's myself. Really cool. um, like um, Brady, our lead Blackhawk mechanic, um, like has helped building this maintenance program that we got, and um, all the support. I mean, like it's it's never just a one man show. I mean, like like I couldn't do it without Marshall, Brady, um, Ryan, Joseph, like all the other guys here um, that help out and do everything. Um, and then um, yeah, so it's it's it's. It's, there's, there's a lot of people involved, there's a lot of moving pieces, and um, yeah, no, everybody deserves the same credit. That's awesome. Well, that's nice of you to uh, make sure that uh, we understand it's a team effort, and I certainly get that. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Yo, yo, I'm stoked for you, man. Um, we've known each other for a long time, been primarily yeah. Facebook friends for like the last 12 years, really. So it's been really uh, a special been, thing yeah. to connect with you. But it's so exciting yeah. to see you succeeding and happy. So uh, thank you again so much for uh, joining back to back. We're definitely going to have you on again. Yeah. And for all of our listeners sure. out there, all 10 of you, uh, last week it was five. Now maybe we're <laughs> up to 10. So, so thank you. If you like this podcast, the helicopter podcast, please like subscribe, do whatever you can do. We're on most major platforms. Uh, share it with your friends that are in the helicopter world or people that might be interested in helicopters. The goal of the podcast is just to bring value. So thank you to everyone. Yo, yo, thank you to you. And, uh, as sure. always, yeah, thanks, thanks for, having for listening, me. and y'all be safe out there. As always, a special thanks to Stellicopter for producing this podcast. Specializing in helicopter evaluations, faster sales, and superb service, Stellicopter is the go-to agency for clients expecting immediate results. Stellicopter's team of helicopter professionals are the best in the business. Using their aviation expertise, a nationwide network, and a proprietary 76-step listing strategy, Selicopter will convert your listing from Mayday to Payday. Ready to get started? Text HELICOPTER to 1-855-SELICOPTER. That's HELICOPTER to 1-855-735-5226. And a Selicopter pilot agent will reach out. Selicopter. List it. Sell it. Done.